You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. I'd like to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus, and we welcome our Fenwick Island campus as they join us right now. Let's give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand. Thank you guys for being here. Pastor Chase and everybody there, we love you guys. We're so glad that you're a part of this weekend service. And everybody that's watching online, I I meet every week, almost every week, people that are telling me they're watching online. So we have a a big online family that are part of Bayshore as well. And we're so grateful that you're with us today and that you're watching maybe in your kitchen or in your living room or maybe uh, in your bed. You've kind of got your computer open, but we're so thankful that you're with us. And we are finishing up a series today called Liberated. And we've been studying the book of Galatians and looking at the book of Galatians. The theme of the book of Galatians is freedom. And so in this book, we've discovered this incredible concept that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And this wonderful, wonderful truth that we are saved by grace, uh, that through faith, by grace alone, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. And that principle of how we live our life, we live our Christian life out of celebration, not out of obligation. And that's uh, an incredible uh, revolutionary idea for people that maybe have been raised in church like I was. I was raised in church and just never quite understood grace, never understood that I was saved by faith and always felt like I needed to do a little bit more and I needed to try harder and I never felt like I measured up even as a person that was uh, raised in the church. So Galatians for me is an incredibly important book and it's been very helpful. So we come to sort of the end uh, in chapter 5. Uh, Paul talks about it, and he ends the book, you know, because the big tension when you think about, uh, uh, you know, about grace, the big tension is, does grace mean uh, license to do whatever we want to do? And so Paul balances the book, and he talks at the end of the book about the fruit of the Spirit. And that is where the character of Jesus is developed in our life. And so there is, you know, definitely in the book of Galatians, this incredible balance between us being saved by faith, saved by grace, saved by the wonderful mercy of God with Jesus' death on the cross, our faith in him gave us instant justification and instant salvation. But how does that work out in our life and how does that work out as far as how we live our life? So he gives us this incredible uh, understanding of, of what goes on in our Christian life. Because what happens is after we meet the Lord, we meet Jesus, we, have this, uh, we still struggle with things that we shouldn't do. And if I ask you to raise your hand now, how many of you have done something that you knew you shouldn't have done after you became a Christian? Every hand would go up and those didn't go up were lying. So we know everybody's, you know, in on that. But he says in in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envies, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Important little pause there, those who live like this. We're not talking about someone that stumbles in this, but we're talking about someone that has a lifestyle of just living the way Paul just described that. And many, many people would say the people that live like that have not yet really met the Lord. And then it says in verse 22, but the contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul is showing us that there is... Actually, we have two natures that we have in our life. We have, a, we have an old nature, a fleshly nature, and now that we know Christ, we have a spiritual nature. And in other words, we have two people that we are struggling with, the old person, the old person, and the new person. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. So when you think about, you know, your life, you have an old person, an old nature, and, and Paul calls it here the flesh, and the word is sarks in the Greek, and it's basically our fallen nature, our sinful nature. And what Paul says is this sinful nature is not reformable. It's not reformable. We're not going to try to fix up the old nature. The old nature has to be crucified, has to be crucified. And when you're baptized in water... Baptism in water, according to Romans chapter 6, is really your burial of the old person. Uh, whenever I'm tempted, which I'm tempted like everybody else is, I remember a while back I had a season where I was being tempted in something, and, and in my mind and in my heart, I went back to when I was baptized. And I thought about, hey, I was baptized, and that person, that old person that's wanting to do this wrong thing right now, that old person was buried, and he's dead. He's unreformable. And that old person that I struggle with is always prone to do the wrong thing. It's always prone to selfishness. It's always prone to anger. It's always prone to impatience, always prone to lust, always prone to bitterness. It's always prone to the wrong thing. In my new nature, that spiritual nature is prone to do the right thing. So I remember, you know, when I first had my first car. Do you remember your first car? My very first car was a 1969 Chevrolet Nova. 1969 Chevrolet Nova. And it wasn't a cool Nova. It was a, a grandma Nova. had four doors and not very cool tires. And it was, it was a column shift. And uh, I bought it from my dad for $500. And I think I still owe him $200. So anyhow. <laughs> but this car had a, had a problem. The car always wanted to drift to the left. There was something wrong with the alignment. I had it worked on, but that car always pulled to the left. And if you took your hands off the steering wheel, it always went to the left. It always had a pull. And, and consequently, it wore the tires out. The tires were always messed up because it was out of line. And our human nature always pulls toward that which is wrong, our fleshly nature. Our new nature always is prone toward doing what is right. And inside of me, I have a person that's patient. Inside of me, I have a person that's like Jesus. I have a person that has self-control. I have a person inside of me that is, is, uh, is, is forgiving. I have a person inside of me that's loving. I have a person inside of me that it's full of peace and gladness and joy. I have that person. But then I have this other person 
that has to be dealt with, the old fleshly nature. And we all have that. Everybody that's here today, you still have the old fleshly nature that you have to deal with. And that fleshly nature is unreformable. It cannot be fixed. When I was in kindergarten, I learned my first nursery rhyme. The teacher assigned each of us a nursery rhyme. Some people had to learn certain nursery rhymes, and I had my nursery rhyme. And my nursery rhyme was Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses... And all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Consequently, I've been in therapy ever since because that is a fatalistic poem. It's fatalistic. There is no hope for Humpty. Humpty's a goner. Somebody said one time Humpty was pushed. I don't know. But Humpty cannot be put together again. And nor can your fleshly nature. Paul said... That fleshly nature has got to be crucified. It's not, there's no hope for the fleshly nature. He describes the fleshly nature, and I want to just go through some of, the, uh, some of the characteristics of the fleshly nature so we understand what it is, and we all know what the fleshly nature is. And uh, he gives a portrait of what the fleshly nature is here, and the acts of the flesh are, there's 15 of them. There are 15 acts of the flesh. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. Fifteen acts of the flesh and nine fruit of the Spirit. The first three are sexual sins. He mentions sexual immorality, impurity, which is uncleanness, moral uncleanness. Uh, and then he mentions debauchery. Anybody been debaucherous this week? Debauchery. That's not a word we use. Debauchery means it means you give yourself up to sensual desires. There's no restraint. You just do whatever you want to sexually. And he names these three sexual sins and I think he starts with that is because a lot of us if we're quite honest you know that is an area of struggle for many many people not just in our times but in all times we, we sometimes think the sexual revolution started in the 60s and that's when people got wild sexually but if you study the Roman Empire and you study archaeology they found brothels there that they've uncovered with with pornographic pictures on the walls there and uh, the, uh, the great uh, sages of the Roman Empire says that we have wives for procreation, we have mistresses for pleasure, and we have concubines to meet our daily bodily needs. So the Roman Empire was very, very sexually charged. And so Paul says the, the acts of the flesh, he starts with sexual sins, sexual immorality. And that word there is the word pornea, pornea. And, of course, we get the word pornography from that. He says the acts of the flesh, the old fallen nature, is distorted sexually. We're all broken sexually, and the old nature has a tendency toward out-of-bounds sex and things that aren't honoring to the Lord with our bodies. Now, here's what the word pornea means. Pornea is a big tent word that covers a lot of things and it it means any type of sex that is outside of the covenant of marriage it means premarital sex it means adultery and affairs after marriage it means uh you know prostitution any type of sex that's out of bounds that's not under the umbrella of marriage it's an act of the flesh my flesh your flesh has a tendency to gravitate toward sexual dysfunction. And the Bible talks about that, very important. And so we struggle with that. And here's the thing about sex. And by the way, I would like to just 
get endorse a message. My son Joel preached at the uh, Rehoboth campus about three weeks ago called The Birds and the Bees. The Birds and the Bees. And it's on sex and marriage. And you should go to the, uh, the church uh, website or go to the, uh, the app and listen to that message. It's an incredible message on God's design for sex. God has designed sex in marriage to be a very wonderful thing. God created sex, and I say, yay, God. God created sex to be in the confines of marriage. Premarital sex, which is like pretty much everything now, everybody's involved in that. Pornea would cover that as something that's wrong, that's a sin against God. Because marriage is designed, or sex is designed to operate within the confines of a covenant of marriage, that I'm covenanted in the sight of God to another person, that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. I make a covenant in front of my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, that this is the woman or this is the man that I've dedicated my life to. So in our culture, of course, that is completely, if you say that, it's like, you know, people think you churn your own butter and you rode to church in a horse and buggy. But it's actually the way God designed things. I heard about this mother who went to visit her son in college, and when he got to visit her son, his, her son in college, he, uh, she discovered that he had a roommate, and the roommate was a girl, and her name was Julie. And uh, he noticed, or she noticed, mom, as, as he was having dinner with, as she was having dinner with, with John and Julie, he know, she noticed how John looked at Julie, and she thought something was going on. And he, she said something to John, and, and hey, she, John said, hey, mom, all, everybody has roommates that, you know, are different sex now. I mean, it's just what we do. It's no, no big deal. There's nothing going on. She wasn't sure. And, uh, and after mom left visiting John and Julie, after mom left visiting John and Julie, um, she got home and, and Julie said to John, ever since your mom was here, my silver gravy ladle has been missing. My silver gravy ladle has been missing. Do you think your mom took it? I said, you know, John said, I don't think so. My mom wouldn't do that. So he wrote his mom an email and said, Mom, when you were here, after you were here, the gravy ladle was missing. And he said to his mom in the email, I'm not saying that you did take the gravy ladle. I'm not saying that you did not take the gravy ladle. But the fact is, since you were here, the gravy ladle is not missing. And mom wrote back to John, and mom said to John, I'm not saying you are sleeping with Julie. I'm not saying you're not sleeping with Julie. But if you're sleeping in her own bed, she'd have found the gravy ladle by now. Well, anyhow, that's pornea right there for you. It's everything. So we need, obviously, as followers of Jesus, to understand that our sexual dysfunction out of the old fallen person has to be dealt with. We We have to ask the Lord to help us. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We have to watch what we watch. We have to watch what we see on Amazon Prime. We have to watch what we watch because what's happening in our culture is everything is becoming more and more and more graphic and more and more erotic. And we're conditioning ourselves to think that this is just normal. This is just normal. 
that God wants you and your spouse to embrace in wonderful physical relationship, wonderful, wonderful joy, and experience that. But Paul said, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality. Uh, then he says, uh, impurity and debauchery. Then he says, idolatry and witchcraft. And idolatry, of course, is in the ancient world, they, they worship different idols, but, and that doesn't seem to have much of an application here. But many, many times in idol worship, sexual immorality was associated with the particular idols that were a part of the world. So Paul is talking against this incredible drift in his culture. These, these new Christians in the ancient Roman Empire, when they've heard about Jesus, their whole life has been conditioned to live a certain way, and their whole life has been uh, instructed that, that everything that they're used to is okay. And Paul is saying, now that you become a new creature in Christ... That's part of your old fleshly nature, and you need to put that aside. Then he talked about witchcraft. Witchcraft is the word pharmakia, pharmakia in the Greek, and we get our word pharmacy from that. So in, he talked about the, the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh included uh, this incorporation of illicit use of drugs, because when they would worship in uh, this uh, witchcraft in the ancient world, they would use drugs to enhance, to enhance their experiences. And so part of what he was dealing with in his culture was substance abuse, and that was part of the, the works of the flesh. Then he said hatred. And then he talks about, you know, the first three are about sex, the next two are about sort of religious sins, and then he talks about the next group of sins are talked about in relational terms, things that, that affect our relationships. And he talks about hatred, hatred. A work of the flesh in my fallen nature, in the word hatred, there's the word enmity. It means to have a settled anger and hatred toward another person. It's, it's a grudge on steroids. It means that you have this, this incredible angst against someone and you think about that person, you can't stand that person. That's what hatred is. And it's a work of the flesh. If I get hurt, if you get hurt, somebody does something and treats you unjustly, let me just ask you this question here. How many have ever been treated unjustly by another person? Just raise your hand. Has it ever happened to you? It's happened to all of us. So what happens in our flesh is we think, well, you know, that person did me wrong, and I'm just waiting to get even. And your flesh has this angst and this anger against that person. And Paul says that's a work of the flesh. So every day, you know, when I end my day, the last thing I do every day is I get down on my knees. And I don't tell you that to be religious or that I'm some great spiritual giant. I just have things that accumulate in my emotions, things that happen to me, things that are said to me, things that hurt me, things that wound me. And if I'm not careful, I'll let those wounds turn poisonous, and they can turn into anger and frustration toward another person. So every day, when I end my day, I did it last night, I get down on my knees beside my bed, and I pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And when I say, Lord, forgive us our debts, I confess my sins to the Lord. I ask the Lord to take away my sins. I ask the Lord to forgive me for the ways that I failed. And I celebrate the forgiveness of the Lord. And then every day, before I go to sleep, I cancel the debt of anybody that's offended me or hurt me. I never, ever want to go to bed hating or angry at any person. The book of 1 John says that we cannot, we cannot be real followers of Jesus and have hatred in our heart toward another person. And then he talks about uh, fits of rage a little later on. I don't know if you saw the, the basketball game back in February where Juan, uh, Juwan Howard took a swing at another foot, uh, baseball, uh, basketball coach, rather basketball coach, because he was offended and fits of rage. Paul says part of the acts of the flesh is, a, is, is, the, is the rage of the flesh. That's the old nature. When you want to get angry and, and be, have a rage of the flesh, you, that's coming from your old nature. Then he talks about discord. The word discord there is being argumentative, argumentative. Uh, and when I first got married, maybe your marriage was like this. When Karen and I first got married, we weren't the couple that never had arguments. We had a lot of arguments when we first got married. Uh, how many couples have ever had an argument in your marriage? Just raise your hand. Some of you on the way to church this morning. You know, you know, the, but we had arguments. And you know, the flesh is argumentative. And our problem with our marriage when we first got married, very young... So we'd have an argument. Usually, you know, Karen tell me I need to do something, and I was sensitive to criticism, and, you know, I'd come back at her, and this thing would escalate, and we'd get higher and higher and higher. And then, you know, you know after however long it takes, it finally starts settling down. It's coming down. You, you, have, you remember that feeling? You feel it? It's coming down. The storm is starting to dissipate. It's going to be over with. Harmony's going to return, kissing and loving's going to occur. And then I have to say one more thing. <laughs> one more thing to make my point. And what happens when you say that one more thing? <laughs> That's the flesh. The flesh has got to be right. Better to lose an argument and save the relationship. Say it with me. Better to lose an argument and save the relationship. So sometimes when Karen and I argue now, we don't argue near as much. You know, we have some disagreements from time to time. I don't want to disappoint you or disillusion you, but we still have arguments from time to time. And, um, and so I, the Lord is teaching me that that one more point I want to make comes from my flesh. It's the old man, the old nature, wanting to be right. And I'm going to crucify that man. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And you don't have to be right about everything. I remember having a couple that 
came to me for counseling when I first started pastoring here. They came like every week, I mean, for months and months. And I've counseled them for years. And, and it was always about the same thing. The guy always had to have the last word, and he had to win every argument. And I took him out to lunch one day, and I said, listen, you don't have to win every battle. You don't have to be right about everything. If you think you're right, just, and I said this in pastoral love, keep your mouth shut. So the flesh is is quarrelsome. Paul said it's quarrelsome. The flesh is quarrelsome. And, and then he talks about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, by the way, is a, is a Greek word that was used by Aristotle, which means to get political gain by unfair means. To get political gain by unfair means. So that can apply in a lot of ways. Maybe we think, you know, in business, hey, in business, business is business, and you gotta, you got to tell a few little, you know, little you know, white lies, and you got to distort the truth a little bit, and you got to bend the truth a little bit to get ahead, and that is a work of the flesh. The work of the flesh will use unfair means for, for personal gains. And that's something that, that Paul mentioned there, and he said that, and then he mentions... Uh, Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and doesn't forbid drinking at all in the New Testament, but drunkenness that is the that is turning to alcohol as your as your safety net. Drunkenness. And for, throughout the book of Proverbs and throughout the New Testament, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There was a lady that, uh, that I was very close to in our church that we worked with and Karen and I helped. And she had an incredible, incredible uh, addiction to alcohol. I mean, every night, every night was a bottle of wine to cope with the stresses of life. To cope with her kids, to cope with her job. Every night, bottle of wine. And we talked to her about, you know, you know what an idol is? An idol is whatever you go to to cope and to find comfort in life. And then Paul goes to the fruit of the Spirit. We're almost out of time. Let's get to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and that is agape. That's sacrificial love. That is love that's committed. That is love that is, 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 is committed to helping others. That is, that is love that's not selfish. That is love that's, that's, that's pouring out your life for another person. That is, a, that is love that's not just sentimental feeling, but that is love that is sacrificial and gives to help and encourage other people. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. All nine of these things, you know, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you know, all of us have maybe one or two of those gifts. Nobody has all the gifts. So you have different gifts of the Spirit. When it comes to fruit... It's, it's, a, it's a singular term, meaning that all of these things are supposed to be manifested in our life, and they all come from that new person inside. That new person is full of love. And when Karen and I first got married, I remember the first time she got sick. You know, I, you know Karen is just was such a gorgeous, beautiful wife, and I, boy, I just couldn't believe I got to marry such a beautiful woman. And we were in Bible college living in a little mobile home not too far from the college where we went. And she got the flu, and she didn't look so good, and she was a mess, and she just had terrible flu. And I remember one time she, she was, uh, got sick, and she was trying to make it to the bathroom before she, what shall I say, before she threw up. I just have to say it. 
before she got there. She didn't make it, and it went all over the carpet. And I'm thinking, what happens now? <laughs> I remember when I was sick, my mama, you know, she, I'd lean against the toilet, and she would wipe my head, and she would stand there with me, and as I threw up in the toilet, and, and where's mama now? Where, where's mom? You know, she was not going to fix this. So learning to be, love is sacrificial. It's giving. It's taking care of the other person. And that's what the beauty of marriage is. The beauty of marriage is, is that it's commitment. It's, it's covenant. Two people have covenanted together in the sight of God. And they're saying, I'm never, ever going to go anywhere else. You are the person I'm committed to. And you learn through lifetime, a lifetime together how to serve each other, how to become more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, joy, that, that sense of euphoric joy inside, gladness, and you're filled with the joy of the Lord. I was preaching over at my dad's church a few, uh, maybe six weeks ago or so, and there's this guy in the church, this, this old guy named George Friedel, and uh, George is, he's 97 years old, 97 years old. He's got a big old Bible he brings to church. He rolls it in on wheels, you know. It's like this gigantic Bible. And I've watched this man my whole life. I've watched him. I watched him lose his wife to Alzheimer's. I watched him lose his son prematurely who died, was a wonderful pastor that died unexpectedly. I've watched him go through all the downturns of life. And he sits on the second row of my dad's church every Sunday with that giant Bible beside him. And he's got a smile on his face. And he loves Jesus. Regardless of what life brings, he's got joy. Happiness is based on happenings. God has a better plan for you than happiness. Happiness, I'm happy. The word happy comes from the, from the English word hap, which means luck. If I'm lucky and things are going well, I can be happy. But joy is deeper than that. Joy is when you can have joy even when things aren't going so good. You can have joy like Paul and Silas in prison after they've been beaten. And the Bible says at midnight when it was dark, when they were in the, the bottom of that, that prison, they begin to sing to Jesus and worship Jesus because their hearts were filled with joy even though their, trouble, their lives were filled with trouble. Joy transcends my circumstances. The fruit of the Spirit can give me joy that transcends understanding that I shouldn't even be joyful, but I have joy because the Lord is helping me. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The Lord can make you joyful regardless of what's going on around you. Then there is, we're not going to do all of these, but there's forbearance, which is an important one for me. Forbearance is the word for patience. It means to bear up under being provoked. To bear up under being provoked. The new Danny and the new you, the spiritual Danny, has patience. The old Danny, he's, he's, uh, he's quick-tempered and he's frustrated and he's not, he's not uh, boy, you, you know, things don't go right. That old Danny can come out of there. But the spiritual Danny is filled with patience, grace. Yesterday, I went to, I had this thing going on with my lawnmower. I had a zero-turn lawnmower, and uh, the tire had went flat last year, and I had some 
my friends look at it and worked on it, and I couldn't get this thing worked and worked on. So finally, you know, I just gave up. I went to the dealership where I bought the lawnmower, and I took, them, took this wheel about five weeks ago. And uh, my, my lawnmower is actually parked in the, the door of my new pole barn, and they're coming to bring my garage door on Thursday, and the pole barn, or my, my lawnmower is sitting in the door there where they're going to put the garage door on, and i got to get this thing moved, and I want to cut my grass and all that. So... I went last Saturday. I said, hey, listen, how's my wheel coming? The guy said, almost, almost. We're going to have it. We're going to have it for you next week. No problem. It's going to be done. So I'm pumped about it. So yesterday I went to get my lawnmower tire, and I go in there and talk to the guy, and he starts looking around from a lawnmower tire, and he can't find my lawnmower tire. He's looking everywhere. And I, I could just tell on his face that there was fear on his face that something's bad gone wrong with my lawnmower tire. So I'm thinking, old Danny, new Danny, old Danny, new Danny. <laughs> old Danny wants to say, what in the world? Well, come to find out, there was a company that comes from Pennsylvania to there to pick up old lawnmower tires that they, they give them away, and then they fill them with foam, and they grab my lawnmower tire, and he said, it's on the way to Pennsylvania. So I knelt down there and had a little prayer right there. <laughs> Jesus Old Danny knew Danny. Old Danny knew Danny. So I said, okay. I said, uh, can you call him? They called him. Of course, they're on the way to Pennsylvania. And he said, I'll call you in a little bit. And so he called me yesterday uh, afternoon. And he said, uh, yeah, it's in Pennsylvania. And I uh, said, we're going to get you another one. by." I said, I got to have it by Thursday. I gotta have, I'd like to have it by Thursday, you know. But so th that night I went there when they closed and took one off their new lawnmower and put it on mine. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> but you know what? Life is filled with hassles, and you can go through life acting in the flesh. Somebody pulls out in front of you on Route One or One Thirteen, or trying to get through Millsboro. You can just react and react, react out of the flesh, react to the flesh. Or you can let that new person that God has made in you, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. When you feel like you want to give up and you want to succumb to something, Remember that you have been given by the Spirit of God self-control. Self-control, that's the new person. Say this with me. I have been given love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, and self-control. Take your hand right now. Put it right on your, on your belly there. That new person's inside of you. The Lord has given you that new person. Paul ends Galatians by saying, you're set free. You're set free by the work of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross has provided forgiveness for you. And out of that forgiveness, you have been regenerated and you've been made a new person inside. And inside of you, the spiritual man the Holy Spirit will produce all of these fruits in your life. All these fruits in your life. 
when uh, my son Joel and his uh, wife Stacy lived with us for uh, a couple years ago when they were building their house, they just happened to be uh, staying with us when uh, their little girl Nora, our granddaughter Nora, was learning to ride her bike without training wheels. And I'll never forget, you know, being out there, we're watching Nora, and uh, her dad is running behind her the whole time, helping her, cheering for her, and Nora was learning to battle that bike without the training wheels, and after a little while, she was riding that bike and doing what she could not do before with the help of her dad. When you think about your life and how the Lord is changing you and the Lord's directing you and changing who you are, you can't reform yourself. You have to celebrate the person that God has made you to be and that the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a new kind of person. And I just love the I love the the journey and I love the I love the vision, I love the hope, I love the passion of what God is making you and what God is making me to become. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Let's let the Lord just minister to you. The fruit of the Spirit is in you already. The power of the Lord is with you. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for helping us and strengthening us. We want to thank you, Lord, for empowering us. We want to thank you, Lord, for the wonderful promise that we will reap a harvest. We'll become men and women of God if we faint not because the Spirit of the Lord is in us, creating the fruits of the Spirit, making us more like Jesus, making us to look more like Him, to live like Him, to walk like Him, to be a model for the world we live in. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, as you lift your hands, just say, thank you, Lord, that in me the power of the Spirit is changing me. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.